biggest calamity, at least in the in the UK this week, seems to be um, the weather. Um, it's obviously, as all weather is, it's associated with uh, man-made climate change. Um, but it's, the, I mean, the, the the media, the Western, sorry, the British media in particular, have been um, other media as well, like, but the British media in particular have been kind of lampooned, at least on social media, for the reporting of this kind of like hot spell that the UK is going through. It hasn't really even begun. So it kind of started yesterday, more or less, and it's going to extend for a couple of days. And just throw that up there, Scotty. Um, this is the former chief scientist of in the UK, and this is just an example. So it's it's not just it's not just the media spitballing like the gutter press or whatever. This guy is apparently saying that uh, because it might reach forty degrees tomorrow, probably won't, but well, in the high thirties for one day basically. Mm. Um, that up to ten thousand, there may be ten thousand excess deaths um, as a result. Now that seems a bit, you know bit over the top but and of course there's been lots of reports over the past week about this oncoming catastrophic global warming right. created heat wave in the UK that's going to and people have been warned to stay indoors and don't go to work in case you just you know in case you collapse you know um, another example is this one which is uh, it's, it's, it's you know gets a bit more into the 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 medical um, reasons for for deaths, I suppose. Uh, this one from the Telegraph says that your blood thickens and then clots. That's what extreme heat can do to your body. Now, people have been paying attention. That word clot might stand out about blood clots and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, that's been in the news over the past couple of years, although seriously downplayed, unlike this, where you take, you know, <laughs> like basically the media talks openly and loudly about the sun causing blood clots right? when that really has never been a thing before. I mean, it may actually be technically true, but it's certainly not something you'd want to or you'd feel you have to warn the entire population about. Stare to the sun or you might get deadly blood clots. Um, whereas, of, of course, uh, there have been reports about the right from the get-go, really, within a, within a couple of weeks or a couple of months at least, of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, in fact, it was kind of recalled or it was not used by several European countries because the AstraZeneca vaccine was shown to be causing blood clots in a disproportionately large, for vaccines, uh, number of people. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, That's one disaster <laughs> anyway, according to the media and the, and the government. Again, it's, it's, it's not just the media, it's the government itself and government scientists and stuff, our former government scientists saying, warning that the heat will kill you. Stay indoors. It's just, it just stands out. It's, I mean, like I said, it's being lampooned on social media because it's so over the top, you know? Yeah. People are like, it's summertime. Okay. Yeah. It got hot two years ago, like 2019. It was a hot, hot uh, year in the UK as well, or a hot summer, you know? So. Okay, so in, in staying with the UK, the other major topic there this week is the uh, who will replace Boris Johnson mm. as nominated and voted for elected, whatever, leader of the Conservative Party, this Party. Prime Minister. So if you take both, um, the implicit message then of, of these kinds of headlines about the heat, which is current and, you know, it's just weather at the end of the day right now. In this context, it's just weather. 
plus who's going to replace Boris. It's like the message is that the overall message is all is quiet. In this case, in the, on the home front, yeah, nothing big going on. But in actuality, there's there's a serious serious problem in there as everywhere else. There's a major inflation issue, right? Um, and you know they're going to go from a million or so to several million people just this year needing food banks to survive right. this winter. Yeah, so. All is quiet in the Western Front at these narrative levels, but it is not all quiet. It's it's like <laughs> alarm bells, you know, ringing all over the place. Yeah, and people know it, but again, people I suppose are kind of I don't know they've they've normalised it or they're just kind of quietly saying, "Well, we'll just have to somehow get along." I mean, you mentioned Germany uh, at the beginning of the show, or, or because of that uh, that that phrase, "all quiet in the Western Front." I mean, it's been in the news already about this winter. Um, possible energy shortages and problem, people having problems heating their homes. I mean, it was a few months ago, uh, even that the German government started advising people to get around to make, you know, use little tea lights or something and, and an upturned uh, flower pot to, to stay warm and stuff. And then they haven't, they haven't let up. Obviously, this will keep going and it'll probably continue to increase in its, you know, the signal and stuff. But this one uh, is just from a couple of days ago. Um, Germans will have to burn wood to stay warm this winter, warns Deutsche Bank. So you have the bank warning, uh, <laughs> bank warning you about, of course, the bank, I suppose, is directly related because it's going to be uh, people. It's kind of like the, the banks are saying, you know, we're, we're at the front end of this. People are going to be probably asking us for money to pay for either extremely inflated gas uh, prices to heat their homes um, or it'll be unavailable. So the, 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 the advice from the bank is, just burn some, burn some wood, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's another example. People are well aware of it. And there's other stories about people who have done, not polls, but they've gone around with questioners asking people in Germany what, they're, what, they're, what they think about the whole situation. And they say, well, you know, um, we'll, just, we'll just make do, you know. We'll just we'll stiff up our lip. <laughs> the Germans <laughs> stiff up our lip. Um, so people are aware of, of, of like you said, of, of that there are serious problems. But I don't know. There's a narrative, and what do they do about it anyway, you know? Well, isn't it interesting that the two first items you showed, um, one of them had a keyword in it, excess deaths. The other one had a keyword in it, clots. Mm. The reasons they gave for both are, well, it's hot, and, well, yeah, it's just too hot. Yeah, in both cases, the weather's fault. But, you know, it speaks to something that is an underlying ongoing issue reported by... Um, your man, Dr. John, the... John British, Campbell, yeah. Dr. Campbell. Um, he pointed out using ONS, British Office, National, Office of National Statistics data last week that there is a probably global, he surmised, increase in excess deaths, excess mortality at this time. Mm-hmm. You know. um, can so I, it's yeah. the climate's fault. It's, yeah, it's too hot. That's just, maybe I'm just connecting something there that... Well, it's... People are invited... What I'm getting at is people are invited to go, everything's fine, but if it's not quite fine and I have a little discomfort, well, here's a possible reason. Like, oh, I'll go with that. Okay, fine. That's what they're being invited to, to assuage their... Because it's causing stress. It's 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 another narrative. Although a lot of people, I think, because the vast majority of people are vaccinated, if you imagine yourself, uh, if, if you're a person who's been vaccinated... 
you're going to be reluctant to even look at any or entertain, seriously entertain, or even, I'd say, talk about any data or any information, uh, you know, that's reliable information that vaccines are maybe behind an increase, to some extent, uh, an increase in excess deaths. Uh, Are you going to want to go there? No. Are you going to want to tell your friends about it? Hey, you know the vaccine I got? It looks like it might be actually causing excess It didn't bother me, but, you know, it, uh, it may be causing excess deaths in certain groups of people or whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a narrative in a certain sense. It's weird to see that put out, put out there, the, the, the talk of uh, the heat killing people or there's been loads of others. I've posted a bunch of them on, on Facebook over the past couple of, it's been a couple of months almost, you know, where there's just this repeated series of different things that can give you heart attacks. Yeah. Uh, it was like seven or eight different... Gardening different, is a recent... Gardening, too much gardening, um, a bunch of other things. Like, But they were kind of almost... They were almost... They looked like they might be, uh, you know, like made-up memes. Yeah. But then some of them were, but a lot of them were not. Where they were, And it's weird what, what it's coming out. It's... And I don't know. I mean, you'd have to... It's maybe looking for a conspiracy where there is none, but it's it's a strange coincidence of the two things. We have excess deaths above the normal from, say, excess heart attacks, excess uh, cancers, excess uh, or, or incidents of blood clots and stuff. Uh, and the only thing that's that, – that information is put out there to explain those, even though that's not in the public awareness yet. The majority of people out there aren't aware that there's excess deaths, right? But what they are – because not, that's not being publicized uh, <clears throat> very, very widely. But what they are getting is an explanation <clears> – <throat> If that ever comes to light, what seems to be what seems to be that they're getting an explanation that if it ever comes to light that there's an increase in deaths or it becomes widely known or pu- widely published, uh, they will have had this series of uh, news articles telling them all these different weird reasons why you might die or people might be dying from things that you never thought they died from before, mm-hmm. like heart attack from gardening. Uh, and heat killing, giving people blood clots, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting observation, and I suppose we'll have to see, <laughs> we'll have to see but um, uh, yeah, uh, just did did I send it? Yeah, I don't ahead. have it to hand. You've probably seen, people noticed, um, I saw two instances of it, actually. First, someone did a side-by-side uh, comparison of British reporting on you know, a weather forecast mm-hmm. of the map yeah. of Britain and Ireland with, with old school graphics yeah. from maybe the 90s. Yeah. And the similar kind of range of temperatures that the right. UK is seeing now, side by side with uh, modern graphics. Yeah. So it was sunny, you know, and just sunny, uh, yeah. maybe a little orange, yeah. uh, and pictures, images, graphics of the sun and the temperature range given. Yeah. 20 years ago versus today where the country's like red to yeah. black, you know. <laughs> red is the new yellow, yeah. But they, they show the figures and it's the same range of temperatures, mm-hmm. but it's like this time it's terrible. Well, that puts me in mind of the whole... And, uh, then, and then later I saw separately someone had done the same, either French or German graphics used today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like red, danger, you know. I don't know, is it expressing something in, people, in, the, in, the, in, in the collective psyche or something? I mean, but you have to go back... What it puts me in mind of is going back a long time when they developed the the terror threat alert. Yeah. So, you know, it's something weird in Western society where they started using the, the this this band of of warnings. They started to warn people uh, about 
things that were a threat to their life and they used, I mean, it's not unusual that you use red down from green to red. Red, green is like, basically it's as old as a traffic light, I suppose, or even older, right? right? Green is fine, everything's cool, calm, go ahead, red, stop, danger. Uh, so it's not unusual that they use those colours, it's just the way that they're using them. Yeah. Uh, and Across what they're so using, many things. And what they're using them for. Mm. Yeah. But um, just on st- sticking with the with the stats, um, the 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 excess death. This is from. Um, it's actually you know GBN News. <laughs> yeah, it's like a new. Yeah. Channel in the UK. Yeah, it's not shown on regular. TV, do people can only get on satellite? I think right? it might only be satellite or, or or the internet, but again, you know, people, a lot of people, a lot more people, at least in, in, for some things, a lot, of people, a lot more people are watching the internet than they are watching their TV. Right. Uh, this is just an interview they did with a guy who is was used to, but is, has left since, but not long ago, he, within, very recently he was uh, worked at the Office of National Statistics um, in the UK. Um, we'll just watch, listen to a, a little bit of it. For many Western nations, early 2022 has seen a catastrophic drop-off in baby births. Germany already has deathbed demographics. But 2022 so far is a unique scale of disaster. Look uh, at this on the uh, right-hand end of the graph. That's uh, the way it's gone down, as opposed to the same period in previous years. Same thing in Switzerland. Let's take a look at the uh, Swiss graph here. Again, see the same thing? Uh, Equivalent period in uh, other years, it's significantly lower. Same thing in uh, Norway. Uh, First quarter, Norway births, 2018. 15,000 plus, 2019, 15,000 plus, 2020, 15,000 plus, 2021, 15,000 plus, 2022, oh, 12,000. What could cause such a drop-off? Well, it happened in all these countries basically nine months after the rollout of the COVID vac. Oh, don't go there, girlfriend. You sound like one of them conspiracy nutters. By contrast, just as the maternity wards are emptying out, the mortuaries are getting a little crowded with what they call excess deaths and not from COVID. When we want to run the numbers, we turn to Jamie Jenkins, formerly of the Office for National Statistics. Jamie, uh, excess deaths, is it a thing or not? Well, Mark, it is a thing at the moment, uh, and we talked briefly on it last week where we had the, the May figures from the ONS and we could see that deaths were running above average, and that's when you take out all the deaths that the, the medical practitioner had reckoned said that COVID was a part of it. And the latest figures that we've got for June now in the last week, we've seen about 10,844 deaths across England and Wales. And if we compare how many you would expect to see in this week by looking at similar weeks over the period, say, before the pandemic... That's about 1,427 above average. Now, we know that there are still some deaths happening in society which are related to COVID. We had 161 out of those 10,000 uh, in terms of the deaths that were due to COVID and, and fewer, about 103 where COVID was mentioned on the list. So we stripped those out. We've still got, Mark, you know, 1,160 deaths in one week alone now, in the latest week in England and Wales, above average which cannot be explained by anything related to COVID. And 
and the thing is, we've got lots of the, you know the mainstream media talking about rising infection rates across England and Wales at the moment, and and we know that with this new Omicron variant, they're far less deadly. But it's plastered all over the news. You got Jonathan Van Tam interviewed on the BBC on the week uh, a few days ago talking about these new figures. He was saying, "Don't no alarm. He still doesn't wear masks." But nobody's really talking about these excess deaths. We were talking about excess deaths when we were seeing them because of COVID. But it's just as important when you've got these excess deaths for other factors. Now, DLNS, when they publish the weekly figures, don't look at it in terms of cause. But we will get a bit more insight into these, like we did for the May figures. In about a month's time, we'll get a bit more insight in terms of the June figures. And it was heart disease was one of the factors in May. And is it a case of what we touched on last week, Mark, that staying home, protecting the NHS has meant that you've not protected yourself and we're seeing people dying of other causes because of these long waiting lists and people not getting diagnosed with certain, certain conditions. Well, as... Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll, go on. You can, we'll, we'll leave the link. Uh, it's not that much longer, but you can, if people want to watch more of it. But, um, yeah, he mentions deaths, uh, excess deaths, about 1,400 or so, 1,300, 1,400 per week excess deaths over and above the normal <clears throat> and he was saying that we don't have you know at, the, at this point they don't have details of what uh, those deaths are it'll you'll have, you know it's a it takes a while for them to parse all that data and that kind of stuff or maybe they parse it in a particular way who knows but um, he still offered a suggestion though as did Dr. John Campbell right it's um, the backlog of missed screenings right from lockdowns yes Missed screenings for cancer and on other serious illnesses, yeah. Um, so it was, you know, massive, you know. Of course, that's, <coughs> that's always going to be a debate. People will say, well, that was worth it because so many more people would have died. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But that's... Or that's we didn't open. know, we know now. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. Except... The thing is, it's still only, it's, it's still only a statistical interest. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they, two years ago they would have screamed at me for saying how dare you say that about those 1,400 and something people but mm-hmm. now, yeah. now that we're back to quasi back to the old normality we, and it's not the hysteria is calmed mm-hmm. down I can say that and people go oh yeah well yeah it's interesting but it's still at the margins Yeah, you know, I, and they can debate it away or argue the numbers but yeah well, he mentioned uh, births as well have dropped significantly in, in several different countries. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that's been noticed by, well, it's obviously been noticed by, by a lot of different people. It's noticed by government agencies in those countries and all that kind of stuff. But they don't make too much of a deal about it. But if you just put up those two uh, images I just sent that are screen grabs of articles, the first one is back in uh, 2021. And this was, I think it was, I think that's the Guardian. Anyway, or yeah, uh, no data linking COVID vaccines to menstrual changes. Now, if you remember, there was a big thing at the time where it was claimed that uh, you know uh, COVID vaccines were having a, an impact on both um, women's periods and and also sperm counts. Now, we talked about sperm counts last week, I think, and didn't we? And we showed uh, that, um, or maybe it was the week before. Anyway, recently we talked about sperm counts and, and studies showing that they do drop off a few weeks ago. Yeah, from uh, Israel. Uh, showed that they drop off and kind of stayed low, actually, for quite a long time after COVID vaccines. Uh, that's a, a kind of peer-reviewed study that we what we talked about. And this one, 
but uh, so that's more recent. But this was, you know, it was talked about in terms of uh, uh, women's periods and stuff, and that was having a. There are all sorts of reports of women having, you know, more heavy bleeding, missing periods, uh, miscarriages, etc., etc. Et and that was poo-pooed uh, by. This is one example of the, the way that the media and governments poo-pooed it, dismissed it uh, last year. Experts, uh, one unusual period, no cause for alarm, blah, blah, blah. We'll just throw up the next one, which is more recently. Uh, you, you get this, COVID, uh, menstrual changes after COVID vaccines may be far more common than previously known and previously uh, summarily dismissed by the media and governments just a year ago. A study, new study, found that 42% of people with regular menstrual cycles said they had bled more heavily than usual after their COVID vaccination. So, you know... I think it's at this point you're allowed, given that we're citing peer-reviewed studies, media and government data and, you know, valid, uh, by anyone's standards, I suppose, valid information. I think it's reasonable to say now that uh, COVID vaccines do have run, have come with a risk, a health risk, uh, a significant health risk that is that was unheard of for any other vaccines that people have taken in the past that have been distributed widely among the population, that this has never happened before. So people who, uh, over the past <clears throat> couple of years, have been talking about this and have been banned from social media and criticised and lambasted uh, for saying so, are being proven correct, that COVID vaccines do come with a risk. And it's yet to be, yet to be seen. Someone would have to do a study, I suppose, to see whether... Uh, the risk from the COVID vaccine is greater than the risk from not getting the COVID vaccine and just dealing with COVID um, uh, by your own, that archaic thing. What's it called again? Your own, what's that word? Immune? Second. <laughs> what is it? It's an immune um Immune system. That, right, that's it. That, that thing, yeah. Uh, your natural, immu- natural immunity. Natural immunity, yeah. That uh, was well, roundly... I think it went away, actually, over a period of time. Let's be careful now. I remember reading that the science said that that's a conspiracy theory. So we're going to dangerous territory here. What? This immune system. That there is an immune system. immunity. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. You the mean official who position is... But there's no such thing as an immune system? No, you only get immunity from, from vaccines. Oh, vac- yeah. Immunity is conferred via vaccines, not, not naturally. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you don't want to get in trouble with the WHO and YouTube, so yeah. I thought I should say that. I mean, that said that there is a lot of hard data showing that a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, most of the population really, are actually in relatively little danger or no danger whatsoever from COVID, especially at this point uh, where it's mutated into some weird Omicron, Ninja... Um, Lucifer variant or something, um, where it's just basically it's it's like it's like a flu or a, a cold basically, and it's it's n- basically if you knew that if you looked at the data and if you're a woman or a man and, and looked at the data showing uh, the risk of a drop off in sperm counts at least and a risk or the risk in blood clots or the risk in menstrual problems, and you then looked at the risk to you of Omicron or this the latest variant and saw that it was very small, you'd probably be, uh, it would be reasonable for you to say, well, listen, I'm not going to, the benefits outweigh the risk, basically, or the risk outweigh the benefits. Um, so I don't need it. So that's another thing you're not allowed to say, really, that people don't need, there are certain people who don't need uh, the vaccine. And in fact, 
you could go further and say that, in fact, for those people, it is more risky to take the vaccine than to not take it at this point. Again, you don't hear anybody saying that. that I mean, it's a revelation to me to actually hear myself say that. Right. And realize that I can say that and it can be backed up with hard evidence, with, with, with peer-reviewed studies and hard data. And hopefully you won't get banned for it because of that, hopefully, uh, or silenced or censored. Um, there's a new, um, there's also a new study, did I send you this guy? Maybe I didn't. A new study out of um, Canada uh, just within the last week uh, that talks to this point. It's um, from Manitoba, from the Manitoba Health. So it's a, what do you call that? A state in Canada? Um, province. Province, sorry. Province in Canada. If, uh, and if you just scroll down to there are bar, bar charts, actual bar charts down, like not sideways bar charts, but after the pie charts, basically, right after the pie charts, down, down further, right after the pie charts. Yeah, right there. Those guys. Uh, so this is eight standardized rate and risk of severe outcomes associated with COVID-19 in Manitoba. And it's up until May 31st. That was until, that's the... the, the most recent month for which the figures are available. Um, and the bottom line, I mean, we'll put this link up, you can look at it yourself, but the bottom line is that vaccinated people are now more likely to be hospitalised or die from COVID uh, than unvaccinated people. And this is even after adjusting, as it shows there, uh, after adjusting for the fact that uh, the vaccinated people are older uh, than the unvaccinated. You know, we've got a lot of, most of the people who... You know, there's majority of older people who are vaccinated compared to younger people, so they adjusted for that. And it still shows that uh, basically 9% of COVID deaths and 14% of hospital admissions, and this is in Manitoba, occurred among unvaccinated people, even though they are 17% of the population. Now, this is, this is an important point because people always, over the past few years, people have put up kind of different graphs like this showing that uh, far more people who are vaccinated are in hospital with COVID or have died from COVID. And then the answer, obviously, is, well, that's because far more people in the population are, like, um, some 90% have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Of course, the graph is going to be, there's yeah. going to be a very small, people of, a small number of unvaccinated people who are in hospital or dying from, from with whatever COVID because they're a tiny percentage of the population. But this data shows that um, 70, in Manitoba, 17% of the population are unvaccinated, but they only make up 9% of COVID deaths. They should at least be 17% of COVID deaths, and in theory, more, because mm-hmm. when you're unvaccinated, you're more at risk, right? Yeah. So it's the, it's the first data I've actually seen that categorically shows that you are more uh, likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID if you're vaccinated. Wow. After all that. But, of course, this is just something that's published on Government Public Health Canada, Public Health Manitoba, and so, uh, it's, no, no, no media is going to pick up on this. Nobody's going to... Why, why would the media listen to what the government says? Exactly. <laughs> Especially when it's an inconvenient truth, you know? Crazy. So, but there you go. Um, presumably, this, this, this will spread. I mean, no one stopped them publishing it. Uh, well, but it, it's not. It is an inconvenient truth. People, there's no yeah. media, major mainstream media outlet in the world, at least in the Western world, that is going to run with that kind of data. You know, um, although that said, that said, I don't think I think that's a bridge too far for them. They did mention well, that one we just put up about the um, 
I think it's from NBC News, it's in the US obviously, but it's from the, the bit about menstrual changes are f- from COVID vaccines, maybe far more common. But again, it's one article, I don't see that across headline news, across uh, all Western media. That's, that was NBC News a few days ago, that was it. Um, should, it, should that not be something that should be kind of headline, at least for a day, or at least half a day, or a few hours across most of the, you know, cause it's, it's public information, right? It should be telling people who, the vast majority of people in, in, in Western populations, 70, 80, 90% of the population, obviously including women, uh, received COVID vaccines. And it's definitely a public service announcement to let them know that 40% plus of people who got the vaccines have been having menstrual problems. I mean, they were forced to get the vaccine. Are you not responsible then to tell people when data comes to light that there are potential risks? Change your advice. Well, not even change your advice. Let them know that this is happening. Even just let them know that 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 thing that we forced you to do, that we all collectively hornswoggled you or manipulated you or, or threatened you into taking, well, it now seems that there are potential problems with it just a heads up to all you people. You know what I mean? Because mm. I'm just contrasting the, the blanket media and government um, Dominant pro- propagandizing of the population to get the vaccine and then the lack of letting them know about the possible dangers that have come to light after they have taken it. But not complete uh, really, lack. I mean, there's some. That was MSNBC. Some, but, but relative lack compared yeah. to yeah. overwhelming. How, it's still in one direction. Yeah, it's it, it should be equal, you know, at least. Um, but this is up, Scotty. This is uh, from RT, but Whatever. it's been reported all over in Europe. Um, Germany and France planning to require face masks indoor again this autumn as part of new COVID measures aimed at stemming the spread of COVID-19. The Justice Minister, not the Health Minister, the Justice Minister of Germany reports. Uh, It goes on, the summer wave of COVID-19 is already, quote, losing momentum, but we have to take very seriously what awaits us in the autumn and winter. I've already seen this effect in France. This is... Things have happened before. Now, this isn't just a hypothetical for the season to come. Mm. France mandated, once again, the wearing of face masks in any and all public health settings, including pharmacies, for example, on the street corners. Right, that's a small tweak too. It's a small tweak, but you can see, I noticed that more people were wearing them in stores mm. around the time that was announced, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird how it affects the the public consciousness. But, yeah, that's, again, if you're to kind of like connect some dots or or see some things that may or may not be there, let's say, but, uh, you know, draw tentative conclusions. I mean, ramp continuing the COVID stuff, which it is continuing. It's ramping up in the middle of summer and they're continuing to to keep it, you know, hot, basically, keep it, it, uh, no pun intended, to keep it hot, uh, keep it on the the front news and keep it in the front of people's minds. and maybe and bringing back masks and bringing back these kind of controls at the time when they imposed this a couple of years ago, three years ago, uh, the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. People saw it as some people anyway saw it as kind of a step towards totalitarianism or to authoritarian rule of the people by government. They were very concerned about that. It felt like that to a lot of people. Of course, it was justified as for your good, for the health. 
uh, for public health. But um, if you take that away and you're left with the risk of government actually getting a taste for it, as Bolsonaro, the, the president of uh, Argentina, or sorry, Brazil. Brazil said a few weeks ago, to Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. I think, he said that uh, during the COVID lockdowns and stuff, certain governments or a lot of governments got a taste for what can we be described as kind of dictatorial rule. And they can't, someone kind of liked it. They were mm. like, this is kind of nice. This is kind of, this is cool, you know. So, but that can be, is that dictatorial rule just for the sake of it? Because I, I get off on it? Or is it in this context and them talking about bringing back restrictions and controls this winter? That coincides with what we just talked about earlier on the show, which is a winter of discontent as a result of gas, uh, gas price hikes or oil price hikes uh, and also lack of uh, access to heat your home or to, you know, energy, energy crisis, basically, that could lead to uh, public um, social disruption, social, uh, I don't want to say uprisings, but you could have public... Uh, upset basically mm-hmm. uh, in as a result of that, and of course, having these kind of controls and rules that you that you had imposed previously, and you can now reimpose them, and everybody knows the drill, right? Uh, would be very useful. I mean, that again, that's maybe seeing too much into it and seeing it as, sure. as planned and in advance, but it would certainly be convenient, right? It certainly is convenient. I mean, if you look at it in the broader scale, if you expand that out mm-hmm. to the past few years and see that they acclimatize people to these kind of restrictions and controls that basically, like almost like Pavlovian dogs, they can say COVID, lockdown, and people will know what to do. You just mentioned seeing people yeah. without having to wearing masks simply because they were told that yeah. they're going to be used in pharmacies. in these strict locations here, so but it didn't matter there was spillover. Right. Um, Spontaneously, so just picked up. And there's that reaction that they have, uh, you know, um, generated in people or provoked in people, and um, that could be useful. You could see how that could be useful, conditioning people in that way, in the scenario, you know, conditioning that way in advance of a situation where you might expect and you might be planning. Governments may in the West may be planning now for potential social unrest this winter for something completely different, sure. something other than COVID, i.e. energy prices, energy uh, supply problems, freezing in your home, no food in the supermarkets, or no some, you know. Uh, the cynic useful. in me says, yes, people are sheep. Yeah. They will obey, but I don't know, when they're hungry, will mm. they obey face mask rules? Will they respond to COVID? We'll see. Possibly not, but. It's a, it's a useful tactic, tactic anyway, I'd, I'd say, you know. Um, so, the thing in Holland's ongoing, is that an uprising? Oh. Yeah, it's still officially a farmer's protest, but they have popular support. Yeah, before we get off uh, Germany, Germany's uh, uh, on quiet in the Western Front. I have to, we have to watch this. It's just, just for what it's worth. Uh, <laughs> this is Trump back in 2018. It's 28 seconds, and it, uh, well, it's a big I told you. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. It has been the formal policy of our country since President Monroe. 
Did you see the reaction of the, of the German uh, UN representative, the ambassador, and, or people, whatever? They're just kind of like, what is this idiot talking about? And yet that's exactly what Germany itself is saying, has been saying for the past uh, five or six months, you know. Uh, that's when we 2018, okay, so it's three and a half years ago. But still, three and a half years after Trump says that, it's absolutely true, and the Germans are saying it themselves, while at the time they laughed at him and, and, and you know, kind of rolled their eyes at him. Bizarre. Um, yeah, well, it's like some of the other things. It goes, just goes to show it, it wasn't because of what Trump was trying to do, but because it was Trump saying it. Right. That, uh, but that's ridiculous. Like, there are so many foreign policy things that... Because of who says it? They've continued. Yeah. Um, under Biden. But because he was the one who was seeking to have his influence stamped on it, no, 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 he can't do it. Uh-huh. It's really weird, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Venezuela is another one. I mean, no one would disagree that in the U.S. establishment anyway, that uh, attempting to unseat Maduro was the right thing to do. But because it was Trump, you know, it's right. particularly tarnished or it's allowed to be recognized that it was a bad thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, What's, uh, yeah. Protests in Italy, protests, but th- th- those are interesting. There's protests ongoing in flare-ups of social unrest, let's say. Yeah. Uh, Italy, it's not so much... It, well, it's to do with fertilizer as well. It's to do with the green... The transition to uh, sustainable, you know, reducing nitrogen uh, because carbon, because global warming, because look outside, it's super hot. Uh, they're, you know, having got farmers, basically... And uh, in Italy, I think uh, there's been protests as well, adding, adding to what you were saying about Amsterdam. It's spread to Italy. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, we talked about that previously, but I don't know. There's so many, so many things that these people are doing that really don't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and we've talked... Again, we've talked about this... I think we talked about this last week about what the only thing you can conclude when you see the policies of governments, particularly in the West uh, these days, is that they are... It's a reasonable conclusion. I'm not saying it's the, the, the correct conclusion, but it's a reasonable conclusion. You can't fault anybody for concluding that these people are trying to fuck things up in a big way just because. You know, they're following reckless, feckless policies that don't make any sense, that don't have any positive outcome, but that will have seriously, seriously negative impacts on the economy and on the lives of many people uh, f- for, some, for some ulterior motive because I don't believe that they believe in... I don't believe that they believe seriously in climate change and man-made global warming and I don't believe that they... Or at the very least, I don't believe that they think that any of the policies that they would pursue in terms of um, reducing uh, CO2, etc., <coughs> would actually have any significant impact on it, or, uh, but they're pushing forward with that anyway. Yeah, or, or that renewables can replace... Or that renewables can um, replace... That you fossil, can replace fossil fuels. Fossil fuels. Um, you, you've talked mm. in the past about the um, unbelievable evidence for that fact last year when the, the mm. wind farms in the UK didn't blow strong enough to make up the percentage needed... Yep. Wind power to supply the British electoral grid. Look at this one from Texas. This is, um, this is, I think it's this month. Bloomberg. 
Headline, Texas wind power is failing right now when the state needs it most. It's not working, you know. Generating 8% of installed available capacity. I don't know what percentage now they're supposed to make up, but... like, the, Well, ideally, 100%. Well, yes, but I think even they acknowledge that, you know, there's a renewable, a mix of renewables no, for but now. I, yeah, but, but ideally, I, think, they, they I don't know. I, I, re- I read that to mean that turbines are generating 8% of their potential capacity of what they should be okay. installed for the turbines. Right, right. What what is the reason that the that is failing? There's not enough wind. Okay, it's too hot and it's not enough wind. There just hasn't there. been the normal wind patterns weren't quite the same this year. Exactly. But how stupid do you have to be to not foresee that? Right. Or, or not see that as a problem? And we don't allow that they're that stupid. Right. They can be right. incredibly. Which is why we why we conclude yeah, that they, they have a there's a different motivation, a different agenda, yeah. and it's not. If you follow through, it's not a very not a very nice agenda, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like we've been dancing, you know. How long do we have to dance around this? But years gone by, we used to be kind of a bit more forthright about this. About they're all out to get us, you know. They're evil, evil psycho elites who are out to kind of like screw over the population and stuff. Uh, more recently, as we get older and stuff, we become a bit more circumspect. Not least maybe because of the potential of being. Um, banned, censored for saying things like that, but it's almost like we just have to go through the process of dancing around this and suggesting that maybe it looks like this might be when it's, you know, it's increasingly obvious that that has to be part of the agenda but we still talk about it in in a circumspect way, but as time progresses, it, I get the impression that it will become self-evident but at that point it's too late. Mm-hmm. A bit like two years ago, what what you just explained now about COVID. Yeah, uh, right. It's too late, 90%. Not that we ever had any hopes of stopping the 90% from, you know, making the decisions they made in those two years. But, yeah, that's pretty much all you can do. You can comment after the fact. In the moment, you're like, well, I suppose it could theoretically be this. What do you people think, you know? Mm. In a sense, though, it's good. It has been useful for us as well to, you know, challenge our own assumptions because yeah. they can get stale. Sometimes we do get it wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. We've had to update. But uh, on broad strokes, we've been right about the direction things are going and, and the likely um, ulterior motives that unite everything from the green agenda to COVID to um, geopolitics and, and war with Russia. Um just before we leave, this is a, a detail that connects uh, people in the U.S. will be familiar with this phenomenon. Um, from the Dutch news last week, um, I'll have to explain what's going on, but the headline is, Picnic Distribution Center Burns to the Ground, Fire Brigade Investigates. So <clears throat> Picnic is actually kind of misspelled. Their brand name is capital N, so Picnic, whatever. Picnic is a, an online uh, food mm-hmm. retailer in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So when they say the distribution center burns to the ground, I think it's the only one. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite large. People shop online, and it's a small country, so it can wherever you are in the country in the Netherlands, your food can arrive to you. Right um, now, this got some traction online because people went. They showed images of this fire. Indeed, it burned to the ground, but they. They got it wrong, and they they suggested that it was a Bill Gates 
owned right. or funded fake meat lab that right. burned to the ground. And right. that's, not, that's not what it is. Bill Gates has his fingers in such pies, but bloody Associated Press did a, did a fact check on, it as, on the story as such, and they uh-huh. went false, patently false. But what they left out is that this regular retail uh, food distribution company is, in fact, part-funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They have a, you know, an investment in it. It's not a majority ownership, but there is a Gates link. Mm-hmm. Again, I, mean, I can't say any more than that, but it's weird. That's all. I, just, I would just add it on to, especially for Americans, they've noticed food distribution centers going up in flames in the last year. Mm-hmm. We counted, what, like 100 fires or weird accidents in the mm-hmm. last year and a half? Mm-hmm. That's another one uh, across, across the water in the Netherlands. There's a... Uh yeah, just talking about uh, what you were saying about earlier on about the uh, um, us, you know, not being able to convince people like that we we say it anyway, but we can't. You know, it's too late by the time it that comes clear that what we were saying is actually the case, and what we and a lot of other people were saying is is true. That you know, we had no hope of ever changing people's opinion, but we say it anyway because it's the truth. But um, there's a guy called you probably watched him, but. Uh, He's a Dutch guy, actually, Matthias Desmet. Um, wow. He's the guy who talked about the mass formation psychosis, who you know, was popular. He's Belgian, actually. Belgian, actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, close enough. <laughs> uh, close enough. He's <laughs> Flemish. There you go. A Dutchy Belgian. Half, half. Um, mass formation psychosis, which was basically almost like just the madness of crowds, basically, where there's a mean yeah. gets... The Bonds theory updated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Ivor Cummins, who's an Irish guy, he's a kind of nutritionist, basically, and he's been very much anti-vaccine for the past um, uh, you know, few years. Uh, he did an interview with him, but Matthias Desmond has done an interview with, with other people in, in talking about this mass formation psychosis, and he actually says explicitly, and we'll put a link to uh, the place where he says it, I think, or the video where he's, where he's talking to Ivor Cummins, and he says that it's very useful for people, the people who see who aren't part of the mass formation psychosis who are kind of like can can defend themselves against it and not, not take part in it. It's very important that they actually speak out because even though their voice is small, it stops this the crowd, the, the crowd mentality from going too far because if you look at history, it can go too far uh, where people just kind of lose their minds completely and you have a, a really bad situation. But that the evidence suggests that the any, re, any resistance, however small, to that mass psychosis, effectively, or mass uh, delusion, has the effect of at least limiting the the damage that it does. That people will still, most people will still get caught up in it and and engage in you know uh, nonsensical, crazy, ridiculous things or beliefs, but that the the existence of a of counter narrative to it, however small, is very important to to restrain the worst excesses uh, of that kind of uh, mass groupthink of, uh, about something that is just simply wrong or simply uh-huh. a bad idea. Commons, contrary to more material, materialist economic explanations of history, common sense is what keeps civilizations going. Hmm. Um, the I agree with Desmond and I would in no way discourage him or anyone else in that direction because it's the only thing, probably the only reason things have not gone foobar yet. 
the the problem is you look at history and there seems to be a threshold or a point at which the common sense is eroded mm. to a sufficient degree. I don't know where we don't know where that is, and then it where, collapses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, well, it's interesting because civilizations have ended. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it goes too far. Yeah. And no longer the, the the voice in the wilderness type thing is is no longer uh, enough, to, enough enough to even to, to, to make to make any yeah. difference. Yeah, but I mean even in a, in a in a practical sense, how it actually manifests is what you just mentioned there about uh, some fact checking organization or some news outlet fact fact checking uh, these allegations. That at least makes them pause or gives them. When they have to go around fact checking a lot of things, a lot that are that are officially counter narratives, it takes up their time in a certain sense, and it maybe makes them stop and think that, you know, they can't railroad everybody that they have to kind of like take into consideration. Anytime a politician or the media addresses basically addresses a counter narrative to, to official the official version of events, it suggests that they're taking it that it's it's significant enough that it's gaining enough traction. Because if it wasn't, why would they bother? The very fact that they actually have to speak out against this, like after 9-11, George Bush, you know, let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Why would he bother saying that yeah. if, there, if he didn't realize or if his people in, 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 in the... Whoever gave him the speech. Yeah, or the people, people who are keeping an eye on what people are thinking in society, let's say, or the, the dominant discourse, how it's going. Uh, if they didn't think that there was a significant enough number of people who don't believe what we're saying... And that's something that we have to spend time on and try to, and even adjust our own narrative, water down our own narrative a little bit, not come on too yeah. strong. We have to actually sprinkle our lie with a little more truth because it seems that we're going too far with the, with the lie and we're getting a backlash, at least from a section of the population who, who have a, uh, let's say, a taste for things that are true or, or a bullshit detector. Uh, we're having too much of a backlash from those people, so we're coming on too strong with our propaganda. So we need to add more truth into it to appease those people, and that has the effect of reducing the the, the impact that a, a big lie can have on a, on a population. So it's yeah. what I'm, the point is that it's still useful, even though it's disheartening, and you see people just marching headlong towards uh, into ridiculous beliefs and and, and following. Uh, illogical, irreasonable, implausible narratives and putting their bodies on the line in a certain sense. When you see that happening, it's, it's, it's disheartening to realize that even you and others who are, who, are, who are trying to point it out don't seem to be having any effect. It does have an effect mm -hmm. in that way that I just described of uh, limiting the, the damage it can do to society. Yeah. So... Um, Sort of related then. Did you see that Tony Blair had a conversion experience? Did he? On Jesus the road Christ. to Damascus. He gave a speech titled, uh, After Ukraine, What Lessons Now for Western Leadership? Mm. A small quote from it. We are coming to the end of Western political and economic dominance. The world is, get, is going to be at least bipolar and possibly multipolar. He would know what bipolar is all about. <laughs> Uh, of course, it's still framed in an us versus them. The biggest geopolitical challenge of the century will come from China, not Russia. But he's just the use of the term multipolar. I don't mm. think I recall such a senior past or present leader even use the term. It's a kind of forced 
one impression I had from it was a forced acknowledgement of some of the greater reality outside of the accepted dominant framework in the West. The reason, I suppose, well, I'll link it to what was just said because in the end, reality and the greater common sense or whatever it's called always has some mitigating effect, even if it only forces uh, it crazed ideological narrative writers to adapt their script. Mm-hmm. But in the course of adapting the script, they are going to soften the, the previously hardcore direction they were going to take. It's, right. It is going to be mitigated. Right. And I'm, I'm willing to... I'm willing to suspect, like, part of the reason I would r- refrain from having such a certain uh, position on what they're up to and where they're going with this is because it might actually change. It might actually mitigate at least partly. The West, as such, is a big geographical place. Um, there are lots of differences and varieties within it. So I can't actually say here, sit here and say there's one agenda and it's all, you know, being rolled railroad in one direction mm-hmm. and this is what's going to happen because mm-hmm. it's, it's not that simple mm-hmm. it's a dynamic world and that's only a billion people there's the other seven billion have agency too you know right uh the skeptics within the billion of the west have agency too even if they're silenced and centered mm-hmm. yeah um what about uh talking about it's all quiet in the western front uh what about ukraine and russia it's all quiet in that front, isn't it? Today is the anniversary of MH17, mm-hmm. um, by the way. Not sure what the official status with that investigation is, but... Official status is Putin killed my baby. Right, it still is. <clears throat> did you see um, Jordan Peterson's monologue? On did, yeah. Interesting, no? Yeah, yeah. Well, he gets it, like... He I gets mean, he's it. He's still trying to be balanced and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't get it. Fully, but there's not many people get it fully, you know what I mean, in, yeah. in that sense, you know what I mean. But um, but he's come a long way in a short period of time. Uh, yeah. He was basically, you know, he didn't know anything about any of this. Uh, he's had his eyes opened. And that's the interesting thing is the events, to, to look at the people who have had their eyes opened um, over the past few years. He had his eyes opened with COVID yeah. and he's, ha- he's having his eyes opened or has, has had his eyes opened over the Ukraine situation. He's thinking about it and he's, he's, he's calling it more or less for what it is while still trying to remain balanced uh, because, you know, you can't expect them to be full-on full-on woke in that respect. But um, it's interesting to see the people who, who get, have a clue when they, when they look at world events and they weigh it up and they, they call it for what it is. Um, uh, those are people who have the eyes to see, who always had the eyes to see, who have the ability to see, whereas there's some people who just will never get it. Uh, yeah. They do the opposite. They have done the opposite. They've swallowed... They swallow the narrative over the past few years about COVID or about Ukraine. They swallow the, the, the Western government, Washington establishment, Whitehall, UK Whitehall establishment uh, narrative, hook, line and sinker. They, they willingly swallow it and ask for more. Uh, whereas other people go, hang on a minute. You know, they have a, a reaction to bullshit, basically. It's like a bullshit, de- bullshit detector, basically. Yeah. If you've got a functioning bullshit detector, you know. Yeah. Uh, he basically you, said, look... We don't really care about Ukraine, except as a battering ram against Russia. Right. So, and he also, I mean, his main point, and this is where, I mean, it's he does have a history that helps him to understand this, which is that uh, his history of looking into the excesses of uh, of communism in, in Russia uh-huh. and other places, but particularly in, in Russia, and his, you know, his affinity for Dostoevsky and 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 basically the 
the exposure of what communism was and what it did and what the that, that it's, ideology especially is. its excesses right yeah. and how it um and how it's being then you see how it's being exported or how it's taking hold let's say a similar ideology is taking hold in the in the radical lefty uh camp in in western countries particularly in in canada and in the us uh, so he and that's tied to to his understanding of russia and uh, soviet russia and so basically what he was saying in that kind of monologue um, was that he understood, I mean, he didn't say it explicitly in these terms, but he was, what he was saying effectively was that Russia has gone through that experience, the Russian people and the Russian government and Putin, whatever, went through that experience of communism. They know where it leads. They see the West going in that direction and they say, we're not going back there. We're not doing that. And part of Ukraine is part of that kind of that ideology effectively it's, it's tied up within that ideology um, I mean when you see the Ukraine flag on the pride flag yeah, you know what I mean it's, it's somehow together, stitched yeah. in together you know and the Russians see that and they say you know and, the, and more broadly they look at, at the degradation of western society into this radical ridiculous wokeism and they even though it's very different let's say from what people imagine or, or experience communism as um, there was no you know radical liberal trans activist uh, activism or, or, or those kind of rights under communism, let's say, uh, explicitly, but he sees it there, there as were, the same. They were at the beginning. It's interesting. Well, but it, not, it evolved. Yeah, but not to the extent uh, that you're seeing I'll it. I'll talk about so you continue. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's not to the extent that you see it. It's not, it didn't hold a central, no, 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 pla- no, no. central place wasn't. in communist it, it ideology. Didn't last. It, was, right. it was discarded quickly. Right. At the beginning, though, sexual liberation, women's lib movement was mm. core to the whole <clears throat> Bolshevik thing. Mm. They dropped it when Stalin came in. Stalin came in and it's like they went – he rejected two things. He rejected communism in all countries. Mm-hmm. The mission and, of and Moscow was no longer to lift up everyone and to start color revolutions all over the place. He dropped that. It became socialism in one country, i.e., national socialism. Sorry to conflict the terms, but just here. And the second thing was he went, just socialism on the economic sphere. The social sphere, leave it the hell alone. Mm -hmm. Back to families, more or less traditional values. Mm -hmm. So he became a social conservative with still the more extreme Mm -hmm. Marxist interpretation of a controlled planned economy. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, but yes. uh, But he also made reference to that Putin has said. So he... He has been listening mm-hmm. yes. to things Putin has said. Well, that's, a, that's just such a basic starting point. Yeah, for anyone to, in like. the West has to actually listen. Right. And he's, he's, take it seriously. He's, he's noted, Peterson noted that Putin has explicitly talked about the values and the self-destructive effects it's having in the West. Right. And yes, we don't want it to happen here. Yeah. I, I love that because it, the first time I've seen someone articulate a connection between the so-called culture wars, intra-West culture wars, and the Russia-Ukraine situation. The, the, I wonder if he, if he realizes the extent of it. Well, maybe he does, and he was just putting it out there, and he only, would only say so much, because his, his friend and some, somewhat collaborator, at least for a while there in podcasts and whatnot, um, the guy whose book we cite a lot, Jonathan Haidt. Mm. Jonathan Haidt was on the Rogan podcast, couple of years ago um, and Rogan was asking you know, where did this come from and when uh, 
the wolf, the extreme subjectivity of my truth, your truth, and uh, SJWs and stuff. And Hyde said, I, I've looked at it. It's 2014. Height made no reference to Ukraine and geopolitics. Mm. He said it, it took off in 2014. I'm not sure how or why, but he gave a lot of salient examples and some data to back that up. And he's like, 2014 was the year. And I went, that indeed, 2014 was the year internationally. And then I was trying to think, well, how do you reconcile the two? Well, Peterson did it for me. He, he said, what if... He, remember in his monologue, he was... He said it more than once. He considers culturally Russia to be part of the West mm -hmm. in large part. Mm -hmm. That's why he brings in Dostoevsky mm -hmm. and the experience of uh, yeah, yeah. You know, all these writers before the communism and during Solzhenitsyn and this stuff. He, he, he sees it that way. So he's like, Russia's he suggests, that what if the Ukraine war was Russia putting its bare paw down and saying, you're not going to shake up ideologically here and therefore there and therefore here, greater Russia. Mm -hmm. So Peterson reframed it and said, what if this is not a so-called civil war within the Russian world, in quotes, but this is a civil war within the West. Mm -hmm. This is the first actual material expression of where it could go for all of us. Mm -hmm. We start fighting each other over this goddamn cultural war. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very interesting... Cause the dominant narrative is, is, has been stringently, especially since 2014, mm -hmm. trying to excise in people's mind that Russia is outside. Mm -hmm. and of course, that has roots back in the Cold War, Iron Curtain. They're not, they're not part of us at mm -hmm. all. Russia, mm -hmm. um, Peterson's like, they are. Mm. They yeah, yeah. are. That is the West, especially when you look at well, you would have to, from the there geographic have... location of where most Russians live. Right. The cities are European, right. etc. Well, you'd have to, to, to follow that through, you'd have to kind of maybe start considering or you'd have to consider why consider the the Rus russia's ostensible reason much talked about reason for its military special military operation in ukraine which is to denazify so it's about a culture war and it's uh, uh basically europe like pushing back against the the cultural marxism as it's called that has taken over many Western countries and that Ukraine is part of that and Russia is fighting against that and they say they're fighting against Nazi, Nazism, mm -hmm. then do you make a connection between cultural Marxism and Nazism? Definitely. Definitely. Both extremes. It gets confusing when, when people jump from one to the other, but for me, I can reconcile the two. On the one hand, you can say what's happening in the West now is communist in nature. On the other, it's pretty goddamn fascist too isn't it mm -hmm. in in the nazi sense um and, and th there's continuity there's there's historical continuity like ukraine's ukraine's leadership today um not zelensky of course but in many positions that we've seen have ha their grandfathers wore the ss uniforms right and in the interim they were not actually in Ukraine. They were part of a diaspora, mm -hmm. often in Canada, uh, the U.S., the U.K. Mm -hmm. And there's been constant back and forth. Well, and this is there, there's direct link. You know? Well, the tentative will to the tentative, tentative connection between the two is that they're both basically a will to personal power over others, right? That's what obviously Nazism, Nazism was, and um, an ugly and, extreme form of 
and dominance. Yeah, and in the in the in the West, that's what people are reacting against. People who are against the radical lefty cultural Marxist ideology is that they're seeing it that primarily at its base, they're seeing it as these people want to take over and dictate to us what we can and can't do. They want to control the minutia of our lives and force us to do things that we don't want to do. I mean, in essence, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it, takes on a different, it takes on. If you look at it only from the surface level, you say, well, they're two opposites, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at what are you saying? Gay pride and Nazis. And anyway, Zelensky's don't, Jewish. Don't, don't, like, don't gay, gay people punch Nazis? Aren't the radical lefty, uh, they're all out to punch Nazis? Uh, as they as they said, but what are you talking about Zelensky? Zelensky's not a serious person. Neither is his Ar- Aristovich or Ar- Aristovich. The, the Aristovich, other, yeah. The, the, those guys who are the you know the kind of like the spokespeople at least for the West, the public spokespeople for for Ukraine and what what Ukraine wants to be and what Ukraine is fighting against and what Ukraine is fighting for. The two of them have histories of dressing up as women and prancing around on a stage. I mean, they're not serious people. They're not serious politicians. They're not, they're not people that anybody in their right mind would want to be in a position of leadership over them. There's a joke. Alensky's a comedian at the very least, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 but no, I mean... Um, I think back to the description by Sebastian Hafner in Defying Hitler. So it's a kind of a memoir in that it was written... At the time, he wasn't writing after the fact when, when the narrative was setting uh, about Hitler bad, fascism bad. He was a guy in Germany who had alarm, bell, alarm bells going off in his head and he was describing the practical psychological effect he felt in himself and observed in others around him. And the thing he said, he, he had arguments about politics and whether it was right or wrong with his friends, but that was all surface. He, was, he had no interest in that. He realized the arguments went round and round, mm-hmm. got nowhere, and just left with people being angry and friendships splitting, families separating, mm-hmm. you know. What was happening, he said, was that the state was trying to get into your head. The state was to become the personal. It was to be in your mind when you woke up and when you went to sleep, when you dreamed. The state was to be in your head. Now, separ- okay, that's over there, right? That's fascism, that's the hard right, that's the expression of totalitarianism from the conservative ultra-right. Now, go back to the books of the, uh, some, of, some of the seeds that gave rise to the extreme left ideology we see rampant mm-hmm. in the West today. What were they saying? There's one that's, like, I can't remember her name, but she's like a famous uh, women's lib- movement feminist leader, she said... Jermaine Greer, no? I don't think it's Greer, but... Go ahead. Um, they were saying the personal is the political. Mm. It was mm-hmm. a hardcore message in the heart of the civil rights and mm-hmm. anti-war movements in the left from the 1960s to mm-hmm. today. The personal is the political. They wanted to get into everything. You know, families, your head, yeah, morning, noon, and night. It's a will to power. Well, look at COVID. Uh, what was going through people over the whole first couple of years or the whole lockdown period? I mean, the state was in people's heads all the time. It was government scientists. What, what's Fauci saying? What are government scientists saying? What's Chris Woody saying? What's the, the, the Department of Health saying? Every morning, wake up. You know, every, thurs- every Thursday, <coughs> 11 a.m. In, the, in Britain. Eight, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every Thursday, 8 a.m. Or 8 p.m. specific time, we will all stand up and clap for the NHS. Yeah. Like a bunch of... <coughs> 
Like a bunch of seals, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't like saying that because I know people who did that. But anyway. Um, Meantime, they're still churning out the copium on Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you hear they were going to mobilize a million people? But then they said that was a mistake. No shit, it was a mistake. I have the headlet. Do you want to Go ahead. put it up? Um, yeah, the headline is like, it's pure copium. <clears throat> but then you read the details, and it's actually, it's actually just Zelensky boasting that a million Ukrainians will rise up and take arms. But the British media presented this as Ukraine's counterattack is going to recruit a million soldiers. Yeah. That's the headline of the Sunday Times last week. Ukraine has one million ready for fight back to recapture South. And a picture of three soldiers holding their British-supplied weapons. You look at that and you go, damn. Damn, wow, Ukraine is... Oh, a million yeah. soldiers. Russia is going to be crushed. Ukraine is massing a million-strong fighting force equipped with Western weapons to recover its southern territory from Russia, the Nissan's defense minister said. And then... The details below are actually that the source is Zelensky boasting on Ukrainian TV that we can rally a million civilians and give them weapons. If we wanted to, if we could. Because well, that's theory, how much I'm loved here in, in theory, Yeah, we could do this if we wanted, yeah. Um, and of course, there's, that's a, that's a, but that's the Sunday Times. You know, paper, if, if there's any paper in the UK that's a paper of, of record, it's, it's the Sunday Times, and they're peddling that kind of, yeah, copium. Copium bullshit. Um, <clears throat> Another one, maybe this one requires a little more analysis. This is the Telegraph this week. On, it's definitely copium, but still, because um, there, were, there were a couple of things that happened that maybe we have to parse. Um, the headline in the Telegraph a week ago, Russia suffers, quote, wild shell hunger as Ukraine hits arms depots with long-range Western rockets. Putin's forces face out-of-the-blue ammunition shortages as warehouses destroyed one by one using HIMAR and MLRS weapons. Well, that was the big hoo-ha. HIMARS are American-made, long-range, multi-launch rocket yeah. system. Yeah, yeah. Supplied recently to Ukraine, what, four of them? Four systems? Uh, the Russians have already HIMARS are artillery, bought yeah. one <laughs> on the black market. Yeah. Been sold. No, but that's, that's just more bullshit. I mean, at this point, I've seen so much, like for, what is it now, four or five months? For five months, I've been watching Western media headlines about the war in Ukraine, and every single one of them, when they that, that talk about the analysis of how it's going, have been wrong. Mm. Every single one. And like we've talked about this before, that either is, I don't believe it's complete ignorance, it's just like, it's, it's confirmation bias or what we want to believe, or they're doing it consciously I as a way conscious. to try and prop up support for Ukraine and to big up the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military to tell them that they're winning. Because who wants to, what kind of support are you going to get for a war if you're repeatedly told that you're losing? You're losing, you're losing, you're losing, and you're going to lose eventually. Well, then people are like, well, why are we continuing? So you've got to tell them, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning, and you will win eventually. Mm. So keep going, keep going, keep going to the last Ukrainian. That's the whole point of the Western media. That's the role the Western media has played for the past five months. And, and like literally, I'm not joking, it may sound like an exaggeration, but literally every single Western media headline about what was happening in Ukraine has been proven very quickly. It could be proven there and then or very quickly afterwards to be false. And not just a bit false, fully 100% false. Can, can you put it back briefly, Scotty? Um, I, I, I actually, um, I'm, an, I'm an acquaintance of the, 
the lead author, Roland Oliphant, I knew him in university. Elephant. Um, <coughs> Oliphant. Oliphant. He was a friend of a friend. Uh, yeah. Never knew, never could have imagined. I couldn't believe when he popped up in this position. Anyway, eight years ago, he was writing uh, for the Telegraph from from the border. He was, I guess, on the Ukrainian side of the Russian border, churning out stories about how the Russians, 10,000 Russian troops have invaded. Remember that? Mm-hmm. They've invaded. Oh, no, not supplied weapons. They've invaded. And then when uh, the fighting got really bad in mid-2014, around this time, actually, um, the... Uh, Russians sent in large convoys of humanitarian aid. Mm-hmm. And he was on hand with his buddy, Sean, what's his name, over the Guardian, mm-hmm. to send home reports that Russia was using the guise of humanitarian aid to ship in weapons. Just one after the other. So I challenged him on Twitter. He said, you know, you got any evidence for this, blah, blah, blah. And he just, he just blocked me. So hmm. up yours, Roland. Um, the, now, since then, it's emerged that he was indeed churning out pure bullshit. Yep. It, there was no evidence whatsoever because that NATO guy who was actually part of a team to investigate the extent, if at all, of Russian arms uh, smuggling into Donetsk and Donbass eight years ago, the beginning of this, <clears throat> found nothing. Yeah. Now, we still couldn't believe that. We thought surely they got some military support, yeah. but it seems to be mostly like volunteers, genuine volunteers from yeah. Russia and strategic support possibly. Mm-hmm. But there's no evidence of weapons, much less an invasion eight yeah. years ago. So well, when they're churning out such BS all the time. Yeah. There's something like 30, I saw some statistics, take them for what they're worth. 30, I think 30,000, was it 30,000? I think 30,000 tons of military equipment. Uh, including shells, so thousands of tons of uh, weapons, uh, ordnance, is being shipped into uh, Ukraine every day to supply the Russian military. Uh, so, to to destroy all of those with a few Absolutely. HIMARS is ridiculous. You know what I mean? I mean, again, well, there's the, no point. In the even. reason I suggested at the outset there might be something because there were videos of massive explosions on the Russian behind the Russian line in Donetsk from this week. Yeah, but who knows uh, what they were hitting. And again, it's, it's a few. A few. You're talk, you, you, people don't understand the, the, the magnitude of the, of the Russian military operation in Ukraine and how much equipment is being supplied every day to them. You know what I mean? There are train loads repeatedly every day. You know what I mean? Um, on that point, actually, just throw that one up, Scotty. Um, so forget about what Ukrainian government says. Forget about what Zelensky says. Forget about what Ukrainian channels on Twitter say. Forget about the, what, what the Western media says. The only thing you need to really be that this only of any of real interest to see where this uh, situation in Ukraine is going to go, other than where it's almost certainly going to go anyway, which is that Russia is going to achieve, achieve its objectives, is what America is planning to do to try and <clears throat> blow the whole thing up. Uh, and, and to create a, a much more serious situation. This is one example. Ukraine threatens to strike Crimea. Crimea. Now, of course, that means America threatens to strike Crimea with American missiles, right? Mm. Uh, so he says, this is, you know, the, the talking head, Minister of Defense, he, you know, he may as well, he's speaking out of the State Department, may as, may as well be. Um, he says, today the Crimean Peninsula has become a hub for the movement of all equipment and weapons that come from the Russian Federation to the south of our state. It is, first of all, a cluster of military hardware, ammunition and materials that are concentrated in the Crimea and then sent, to su- sent in to supply the Russian occupying forces. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, there, you know, this is a threat that, again, if you read between the lines, it's not a threat coming from 
Ukraine because Ukraine doesn't really have the capability or the authorization to do anything like this because this is an American war, American proxy war effectively against Russia uh, using the Ukrainian military that they have been training, as we've been saying repeatedly for the past eight years, for the express purpose of launching a war against the people of Donbass and to try and take back Crimea and possibly then to have some kind of you know, uh, interaction with uh, across the border into Russia. That was very clear. Uh, they were planning to do it early this year, and that's why Russia invaded in order to protect itself from that very clear and present threat that had been building for eight years. I'm sick of people who don't understand that and how, you know. Anyway, um, so there's that, and then there's uh, it's the potential for some... Of, um Weapons onto the black market from Ukraine outwards. Right. Like there were videos this week I saw of Slovakia or somewhere. People are, with Slovakian plates, they're rolling up and they're making deals or offers, you know, in the woods somewhere. And it's full of Lovely. American, British weapons. Yeah. And then there's this one, which is, uh, it's been in the news as well. Just recently, uh, United States, uh, basically Congress, approved $100 million for training Ukrainian pilots to fly American fighter jets. Which, obviously, why would you do that if you didn't have a plan to actually supply them with American fighter jets, i.e. F-16s, F-15s? Uh, if that happens, you know, I mean, that's... They talked about this before. You probably remember a few months ago, talked about possibly supplying... Polish uh, jets, uh, po- yeah. Polish F-15s, F-16s to, uh, to Ukrainians, and then they said, no, it's a bad idea because that would basically, you know, if you have F-15s and F-16s that Ukraine never had being shot down. I mean, who knows... Who, at the end of the day, yeah, they're training the Ukrainian pilots. How do you know it's not an American pilot? Okay, maybe American pilots don't want to die in Ukraine, but who knows? I mean, at that point, it's actually American fighter pilots flying American planes and bombing Russian troops in Ukraine. That's I'm, a war. Under Pentagon command. Right. That, that, that's a direct war. So they're trying to play with this, you know, the, 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 the exact definition of, no, no, we're not, we're not directly involved in war yeah. with Russia. And they, well, how far do you push that until it's very clear that I you are? I think they're pushing it too far. That's what may happen, you know. So this is, um, they're apparently being trained. They don't know exactly where, but the, the reports anyway uh, out of the US are that that is what is happening. Um, Adam Zinger, if you just scroll down in that article, Scotty, uh, Adam Zinger, who is, uh, he's a rep congressman from Illinois, and he's a former Air Force pilot himself, says in that tweet, their pilots are second to non- American pilots are second to none, and I am proud that, the, that last night the House passed my bipartisan Ukrainian Fighter Pilots Act, which authorizes the training of Ukrainian fighter pilots in the U.S. I urge the Senate to get this critical legislation to the President's desk. Slava, Ukraine, what an idiot. Like, talk, about, talk about being ideologically possessed. What does that guy care about Ukraine? Really, what does he care? I mean, where does he get his, you know, he obviously is a massively ignorant person, like, you know. Um, but anyway, that's the kind of people that are in positions of power. Get to make yeah. make well, laws, basically, and to uh, expropriate American tax dollars and send them down the Swanee. Here's another one um, published last week in The Guardian. Ukrainian soldiers arrive in UK mm-hmm. for training with British forces. Subheadline, up to 10,000 new recruits will train for several weeks. Mm-hmm. To go Again, it to pushes, go pushes the line of well it's not us it's their war mm-hmm. which is helping them a couple more on Ukraine um, and then we're done I think um, this one I don't know if you saw this one <laughs> uh, the emperor himself uh, Palpatine himself um, dropping a few pearls of wisdom let's have a listen 
of our best foundations. Uh, they, they refuse to leave and they are uh, uh, leading civil society. I also want to mention that uh, there is one person who was very deeply involved in Ukraine, and, and that's Biden. In fact, I got to know him uh, in the, with, with regard to Ukraine. He had a lot more patience than I had in, in uh, trying to convert Poroshenko into a democratic leader. I fed up with him and I told him so. But actually, uh, 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 Biden keep, kept on uh, uh, t trying, to, uh, t trying to convert Poroshenko in, into a Democrat. <laughs> Thank you, George. Good man, George. Thank so, you, George. So Biden was doing his best to, weirdo. <laughs> to, to convert uh, Poroshenko, who was the golden boy, right? Mm. Uh, he was the, the great uh, leader of Ukrainian democracy after the US-backed coup uh, in 2014, and he's the one for a couple of years, few years anyway, under whose stewardship, or supposed stewardship, one term, yeah. allowed um, the US to continue to train uh, Ukrainian military to wage a war against Russia, basically. And on that topic, then, we also have... Well, actually, before you play that one, Scotty, let's just do uh, a little... A little, uh, a little thing. Uh, <laughs> stick that one up. Here's Poroshenko. Speaking of Poroshenko, uh, of course, Poroshenko was acute, was was had a was almost going to be uh, put and thrown in prison by Zelensky recently for corruption. You, you saw it earlier this year. He mm -hmm. was like he 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 did leave the country so and then came mask. back. Anyway, um, just put out throw up that this is Poroshenko. Uh, I don't know how long ago, a few years ago. Сьогодні у нас виготовлено два бандермобіля для 200 батальйона. Ви бачите, бачите славних бійців наших. Батько наш Бандера, Україна мати, ми за Україну будемо воювати. Наш Бандера, Україна мати, on the Bandera Mobile. They should send in some Bandera Mobile. They should just mass produce Bandera Mobiles, which are Toyota Hilux uh, pickups with uh, some machine guns in the back and send them against the Russians and put Poroshenko and Zelensky and the rest of them on them. Um, Remember, there are no Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah, Bandera. I hope everybody who's listening to this knows who Bandera is, but there's Poroshenko, the great democratic leader, um, although not by... George Soros' estimation, apparently he let that one slip, that Poroshenko was not, in fact, a democratic leader. And he got very... He just gave up trying to con convert him into... Uh, fr from, a, from a corrupt tyrant, effectively, into a democratic leader. Just couldn't, couldn't make any headway. And Biden... Biden had more patience, but Biden had more invested, right? Biden had... Um, you just put up that previous tweet I sent you, Scotty. Biden had more investment in, in, in converting and, uh, Poroshenko and staying staying the course in Ukraine because here's, uh, this is just before Trump's inauguration in 2016, Biden talking to Poroshenko. 
overdrive to clean up loose ends. November 16, 2016, two weeks after Donald Trump's victory, Joe Biden is on the phone with Poroshenko. His voice tenser now than before. This is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get into position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a politics where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the details. In other words, Biden does not want Ukraine asking for more money from Trump. Doing so would cause Trump to look into the details. So anything you can do to push the, the, the Pravada Bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. Physical security? That's how you talk to a Democratic leader. You threaten their physical security. Was he just in that moment breaking the, the Logan Act? Yeah. Um, He's talking to a foreign are. leader behind the lead, outside the formal channels of government. Well, technically he was still... He was still vice president. He, was still he wasn't right. inaugurated yet. No, right. he was getting the last ditch. He was getting the last uh, last speech in. But he was, of course, what he was effectively doing there was protecting his own uh, the details of his own corruption and that of his son Hunter in in Ukraine. The details de- he was worried about. Privat yeah. bank Kolomoisky, uh, basically Burisma. Yeah, Burisma. You know, ten uh, percent for the big guy. Billions of dollars taken from private bank from from basically. From the bank itself, uh, defrauding the bank and embezzling money from the bank, I think $5 billion, and investing it in the U.S. with business partners unknown. So, yeah, I was very concerned about uh, that. That was a fallout of Trump being elected, of the shock of Trump being elected, of Hillary not winning, and Biden suddenly going, holy shit, there's some details in Ukraine here that I need to cover, need to Mm. to clean up, basically. And and then, of course, Trump... um, Trump followed through on that and was part of the whole impeachment process, right? He tried to include that as part of the impeachment impeachment process. His his uh, attempts to influence um, to do exactly what Biden didn't want him to do there, which is attempt to influence the Ukrainian, Ukrainian government, Ukrainian government to, investigate. to investigate Biden. Right. Talk about corruption. People people are living under this level of scum and corruption. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they think and they wonder why things are going to hell in a handbasket. Look up. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's all I have to say about the war in Vietnam. I mean, the war in Ukraine. Um, Apart from, here's one last little picture. And this goes out to all the Germans. Well, actually, it goes out to all the people of Europe and America. And it's from The Economist. The Economist just is really good at, at propaganda in picture form, on their covers. Mm. Aren't they? Super, the best. This is what's going to happen. This is what you're meant to understand is going to happen to you this winter. Whatever happens to you this winter, this is the image you have to keep in mind. That's Europe, poor little girl. Little Red Riding Hood. Walking through the forest innocently, and the evil black Russian bear with red eyes stalking you. That's what we need to remember, people. And she's not walking through a forest. It's a forest, but it's also like gas pipelines. Exactly. I see that. 
Yes. Little detail. Oh, very artistic. Oh, very funny. The Economist. Yeah. You know it's been going 200 years. Yeah. That shit rag. And people take it seriously. And they think they're serious when they take it seriously. Look yeah. at me. I have a copy of The Economist. I'm on the coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so smart. Uh, I, get, I get high quality propaganda. Uh, Highbrow propaganda. Not that lowbrow stuff. Can't stop the signal now. Mm.